the world around us has changed so much that if your hitting philosophy hasn't changed, probably got to question what you're doing. We hit either velo, a real breaking ball, so anywhere from 75, 82, 83 miles an hour, uh, right-handed and left-handed, disgusting cheese, like 100 mile an hour cheese. We were hitting 97 mile an hour cheese from like 55 feet the other day. If you want to be a good base running team, you cannot jump down their throat when they make a stupid out. They're just like everybody else. They're going to make bad decisions. You need to just stop, talk about it, adjust, and make sure it doesn't happen again. All of the new information out there makes it so much easier to be a coach and to live with the mistakes that are made. Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with C.J. Gilman, assistant baseball coach and recruiting coordinator of the Air Force Academy. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad, here's C.J. Gilman. Welcome back to the Farm System. We're sitting down with C.J. Gilman, assistant coach at the Air Force Academy. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System. Thanks for having me, fellas. I'm glad to do it. Well, awesome. You know, CJ, a big reason we want to pull you on, I, I talked to you the other day, we we're talking about this, is just, man, like your influence and not only, you know, uh, Air Force's influence, but just you personally, too, and um, how, you know, not only so through social media, throughout the coaching community, your name's starting to pop up more and more uh, when it comes into, you know, just uh, training hitters and, and building some of these elite players in the nation. So uh, we're just happy to jump you on, have you jump on and really just share some of your knowledge with, you know, not only us, but also the, the, the community of baseball. Yeah, my social media is, uh, it's a pretty much a mix of 100% either baseball or my kid eating donuts or doing something <laughs> funny. So if you come for the, uh, if you come for the baseball, you might have to sit through a little bit of uh, my little guy doing crazy stuff at our house. <laughs> that's awesome uh well coaches we kind of get things going here um if our listeners don't know cj gilman can you take them through your journey to get to this point in your baseball career yeah absolutely so i grew up in colorado played high school baseball at columbine for my old man and uh took a pretty uh pretty long route through college when i got into college that was kind of the last year that you were allowed to transfer without a penalty so my freshman year i ended up going to two different schools. I went to Coastal Carolina out of high school and uh, showed up. We started individual workouts and it was pretty apparent that uh, I was not good enough at the time. Um, <laughs> so I thought, of course, you know, I'll just transfer to another division one right at Christmas break and probably just walk into the starting lineup. Obviously that's not <laughs> how things work. So, um, so anyway, I ended up going to junior college, went to garden city community college, uh, G Vegas is what we called it. Um, it's in the middle of Southwest Kansas. And, um, that was just honestly, like, uh, that was what I needed at the time. Um, I needed somewhere where I was going to get in the lineup and where I was going to play every day. Um, you know, I know guys that have, uh, guys that have maybe run into 
you know, problems at their first school, uh, you don't play your first year, you redshirt, whatever it might be, you know, it feels good to get back out on the field and just play. So that was great. Junior college was great for me in that regard. And then ended up going to the University of Dayton. That was where I graduated from and uh, got to play for Matt Tallarico. Uh, Tony Vittorio is a head coach there. But, uh, you know, that was just a great, honestly, like, it, it, that was the point where it's like, hey, you know, I found a place that fit. Uh, it was a place that I belonged. Uh, it was a place that needed kind of what I had to offer from a baseball standpoint. Um, didn't get drafted out of college, so I went and played independent ball. Was absolutely shocked when I showed up to independent baseball and the level of talent that was around me. Um, another one of those things, I thought I'd walk in and probably be the best player on the team. Um, not even close. There were guys doing things that uh, I definitely had not seen in my college career as far as juicing baseballs um, defensively, you know, all over the place. So got a chance to sign out of independent baseball um, with the Rockies, got a chance to be with an affiliated organization, found out pretty quickly in spring training that I was just a warm body there to catch bullpens. So once I got released there, I went back, finished out that year in uh, Windy City and then uh, started my coaching career. I didn't even, I didn't necessarily think I wanted to coach, but I figured I had a summer, you know, a semester to kill. I might as well go do it. So I went back to Dayton where I played. Um, Tallarico called me and said, hey, I think, you know, being a volunteer might be a good fit. And uh, so I did that for a year, wanted to move back home and was working Air Force summer camp. And Kaz basically hired me at a, at a summer camp to be the base running guy and you know, do base running and, and, and catching. Um, I wasn't even hitting, wasn't, you know, I was going to help out with hitting those types of things, but, uh, four years later, now I'm doing the hitting. Obviously Toby Bicknell was the recruiting coordinator when I was the volunteer at air force. And when he moved on to Kentucky, I moved into his role and it's been four years, three and a half years since then. And now we're here. It's hmm. awesome. Well, you know, CJ, you know, just looking up some of your guys' stats, just so everybody understands where we're at here with Air Force. Air Force slugged 310 as a team, uh, as a team and hit 52 home runs and also had an on-base uh, on base plus slugging of 861. So you guys can swing a little bit, huh? Yeah, I um, I think, you know, I think, honestly, I think we hit probably 310. I hope we slugged better than 310. Um, but, uh, you know, this last year was a big learning experience for me from a coaching standpoint because two years ago uh, – you know, the offense that we had was uh, certainly the best that I've ever coached, certainly the best I've ever been a part of. You know, I, we led the nation in some categories, and it was like, okay, you know, rolling into this past year, it was like, all right, well, sure, we'll just – all those guys graduated, right? And so it's like, all right, well, let's just, let's just roll back into it. We'll just be that same team again, hit a bunch of doubles and home runs and score a bunch of runs, and – um you know, early in this past year, we rolled into Hawaii. That was where we opened up. And uh, if, you've, if you've never been to Hawaii, it is not exactly a hitter's paradise. And mm -hmm. um, we juiced some balls and some gaps uh, that outfielders ran down. And um, that first weekend, it was kind of like, you know, uh-oh. Um, I wouldn't say the guys panicked by any stretch, but I think it was a little bit of a reality check because not only were the balls we were hitting not, not going where we thought they'd go, we were striking out a lot. Um, our two-strike approach was not good. You know, a lot of different things where, uh, you know, we, we rolled into the next weekend and struck out 20 times. Um, that's a pretty humbling experience. If you've, uh, if you've never been standing in the third base coach, third base coach's box and uh, 
watch your first nine guys strike out. It's like, Hey guys, let's, let's just make a little bit of contact. Um, so I remember our leadoff guy laid down a bunt the second time through. And I remember being so relieved about it, but, uh, we figured it out by the end of the year. Yeah. But, um, I think a lot of times guys just look at, you know, they just look at your stats from one year to the next year to the next year. And when you put up consistent numbers and your team score runs, they think, yeah, it must just all be easy. But, I'm telling you, last year was one of the most frustrating years I've ever had for the first half of it. So it was fun. I got to learn a lot, um, but there were some frustrating times as well. Yeah, I definitely think that that's part of the grind of coaching, you know, especially at that college level. Some years you're going to go through some growing pains, and you kind of just got to trust that it'll pay off for your guys down the road. Um, CJ, I want to transition here and have you open up about a resource that I stumbled upon after listening to your podcast with Sheets. Can you give us the backstory of the Air Force hitters log, kind of what you use it for, and then how it holds you accountable to both your players and your coaching peers? Yeah, so this just, you know, segues right into, you know, what I was just talking about. So this was last year, and we had last fall, and like I said, the two years ago, that really good offense, all those guys graduated. So last year, we didn't have necessarily young players, young bodies on the field, but we were very young from an experience standpoint. And, you know, we're sitting, I'm sitting behind the turtle, we're taking BP and we don't take a lot of hand thrown BP. Um, I don't think it does much to get us better. I want to improve every day. So just in practice, we're hitting, um, you know, fastballs, breaking balls, whatever it might be off the machine. But this one day we're hitting hand thrown BP. Maybe it was a light day or maybe it was before a scrimmage or whatever it was. And one of our freshmen, uh, he was a freshman last year, that's going to be a really good player for us, got some thump in his bat, um, real athletic kid. He hops in for his first round. And, you know, our, our BP approach in our first round, we want to we go middle backside. Um, we don't want to be manipulating balls over there, but we want our bat path and our timing to be such that we should be able to take anything right down the middle uh, to, you know, a ball off the plate and hammer it to the right side. And so I'm standing back there. And this kid just so happens, you know, poor kid, first kid to go. And he gets in there and it's like barrel hook city to the third baseman. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what are we doing, dude? Like, I mean, literally I watched the first one and I don't say a ton during BP um, from a swing to swing standpoint. Like, I just think you'll drive someone crazy and, and honestly just make them a way worse hitter. But so I'm watching the first one and I'm watching the second one. I'm like, man, did we do like a heavy squat yesterday? Is he just trying to figure out where his body is right now? Like what is going on? And uh, then the third one and like he finally like, you know, side spins one to the shortstop. And I'm thinking to myself like, you know, what, what is going on? And so finally I said, what are we doing? You know, I'm like, when have we ever talked about this, you know, from a BP standpoint being how we want to start a day? Um, and the kid kind of walked out, you know, sheepishly and he was, I said, you know, just come back around and fix it. Um, and so as the, as the kid comes back around, and he's hitting the next time, one of our seniors and thank God that, you know, our seniors feel empowered to, to speak up and stuff. But one of our seniors said like, Hey, Gilly, I don't know that we've necessarily harped on what our BP approach should be. And, um, and, and like right then it hit me square between the eyes. I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah we haven't talked about that. Um, how am I going to sit here and hold this guy accountable for it uh, when we haven't talked about it? And so the idea for the Air Force hitters log was to everything that we do um, that's important to us, 
Um, by no means do I think it's a full, you know, complex hitting solution, but it, it's what's important to us at the Air Force Academy and what I want our guys to know. And so they can hopefully, right, I don't, I spent my first three years there harping on what our approach should be, you know, from a BP standpoint and then a game standpoint and so on and so forth. I don't want to harp on that for a full fall. I want it to be, I want it to be learned and out of the way in, in two weeks or, I mean, if you're really paying attention to our hitters log and you're a player that's coming into our program, you know, you can anticipate maybe what we're going to talk about and then hopefully hop on board really quickly. Um, but what else it's going to allow our guys to do is it's going to allow our guys, you know, I always, I, I harp on our guys. I think it's a great life skill and a hitting skill. Like don't ask dumb questions. Right. And so I don't mean that to be rude by any stretch, but like, Hey guys, if you have a question, that's good. Think about it right? Make sure it's a well-thought-out question so that you can get a well-thought-out answer, right? I think that's going to help them down the line in their baseball career and or life. And so, you know, I want our guys to, maybe if they don't know uh, how to specifically ask a question or what exactly they even want to know, they might not know what they want to know, um, to be able to go back, look at it, you know, sit down and watch some things in their dorm room when there's, it's a very low pressure situation and maybe remember and think like, oh yeah, this, or oh yeah, that, or when I was really, really good, this is what I was doing. Or when I was really, really good, this is what we were thinking about. This is what the coaching staff was talking about. Um, so it gives those guys the opportunity um, to, you know, again, in a low pressure environment to kind of figure out and adjust and maybe remember things and peak their memory you know, for that. And then from an accountability standpoint, man, like that was it. Like I hadn't talked about all these things that I was getting mad at this kid for not doing, um, you know, and so for an accountability standpoint to my players, I need to be able to, I need to be able to put into words what I want our guys to do if I'm going to ask them to do it. Um, and I think that's very important. You never want to be the go do this boss, you know, you know, go do this, go do this. Why? Cause I said so, you know, and so, um, and then lastly, you know, accountability to your peers and just to college baseball in general, like if you're going to put your thoughts out there, and I've said this before, but if you're going to put your thoughts out there online for God and everybody to see, like you better, you better be, they better be thought out and they, you better believe in them. You better be able to justify it. You better be able um, to support it with, you know, either what your guys are doing or what your theory is on it. Um, because anything out on the internet, as you know, man, is, is up for people to pick apart. And there's trolls all over the world that are just waiting for you to say something dumb. Ain't that the truth? That's funny. Um, so, you know, let's, re let's really dive into this too. I, I really want to know, um, you know, you're really into machines and, you know, I, the, I think the game's definitely going that way. How has your hitting philosophy, you know, really changed over the years? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Because, um, Hopefully anyone that you would ask this question to, hopefully, you know, their hitting philosophy has changed. I think not even, you don't even have to think of it as like, oh, I used to be so dumb and now I know all these things. It's just like the world around us has changed so much that if your hitting philosophy hasn't changed, you, you probably got to question what you're doing. Um, you know, growing up, so, at, at, you know, everybody's first hitting coach usually is their dad. Um I got to, you know, fortunately, I, my dad was my hitting coach all the way through high school because uh, I ended up playing for him in high school. And so, you know, if you if you went and hit with my old man right now, you're not uh, you're not talking about force plates and K vests and plyo balls and axe bats. Like you're, we're not talking about that. We're talking about uh, just flat competing, man. And 
so this is so funny. I, you know, this story is, is one of my favorite stories because I just thought this is how everybody's life was. But we had this, like, this PVC stand, uh, I think it like an upside-down T almost, and into uh, the back of it was the hooked up was the motor of our leaf blower. And so this was down in our basement. And honestly, I thought everybody just had like, you know, this, this wiffle ball pitching machine operated by a leaf blower hooked together by some weird dryer hose and metal PVC clamps. Like, so you, you, you turn the leaf blower on obviously multiple speeds. So we got a fastball and a change up, you know, we went and got the good black and Decker one. Uh, <laughs> and you put the, you put the ball in the top if the T is upside down, like like the letter T. If the PVC is upside down, you put it in the top of the uh, of the T, and then you put your hand on top of it, which would create a vacuum, and, and the leaf blower would shoot the ball out, and that was my first pitching machine. And uh, hmm. so it was in the basement, and it was loud as can be. I think my mom hated it, um, but we were just down there competing. We I literally didn't know what to talk about from a swing standpoint. It was just like, hey, hit it. Um, you know, same thing. He he got he went out and got a an iron mic machine somewhere. I have no idea where, uh, but it ended up at our high school, and we would just go out and bang on that thing uh, after school was over and before practice started. And um, you know, so that was like my my introduction to how to be a good hitter was like just be blue collar, just go do it a lot, just work really hard, and and if you if you take enough swings, you're gonna figure it out. And then, you know, I went to college and ran into some other coaches. And when I played for Calarico uh, at Dayton, that was the first time that I'd had maybe um, something mapped out and, and a real idea of what we were going to do. And uh, we did some things from, you know, body posture and one-handed bats and some things that, I mean, I became a better hitter. So, so I figured that it was working, um, which it was. But the one thing that always – kind of nagged me in my head. So I was a switch hitter and at Dayton, we had one of those black machines uh, that looks like it's basically got a trash can on top of it. I don't know what it's called, but um, it was the first experience I had had with like a three wheel machine that could throw the hell out of the baseball and wasn't like a jugs machine that was going to hit you in the face. And uh, I don't want to knock a jugs machine because they're really good now, but the, the ones that was like two tires and our tires are flat and balls are you know, lopsided and everything. So um, it bugged me that I could smash that machine from the right side and that I could not hit it from the left side when I turned it up. Um, I didn't probably tell anyone, talk to anyone, but like there, there was a real thought in my mind of like, why can I hit this thing right-handed? Why can I not hit it left-handed? And every year, my home runs in college were split like right down the middle. I had about the same amount right-handed as I did left-handed, but I had like three times as many left-handed at bat. So the numbers didn't make any sense. So in my head, I knew like I'm a better right-handed hitter and I wanted to know why. And I think as I've gone through my, now through my coaching career, that's been like the most evident thing. Why for why we use a machine um, we hit either velo a real breaking ball, so anywhere from 75, 82, 83 miles an hour, uh, right-handed and left-handed, um, like disgusting cheese, like 100-mile-an-hour cheese. We were hitting 97-mile-an-hour cheese from like 55 feet the other day. Um, you know, just all kinds of things, anything that I'm going to see in a game. And the reason why is because I think as I was in college, it was like, hey, 
you're a freshman. Like, you're going to figure out how to play. Hopefully your defensive tools play or maybe your speed tool or, you know, whatever. But you're going to be in the lineup, and this is how you're going to get better. And you're going to get A-Bs, and this is how you're going to get better. And you hear about it in big league, in the big leagues all the time. Like, you need 10,000 professional at-bats before you're a great hitter. I have no idea if that's a number they always say, but you know what I'm talking about. So the idea behind the machine is when you're a freshman and you go from high school where guys are throwing 82 to 88 and like the one guy throws 90 miles an hour and you got one hit off of him and you just remember that for the rest of your life to then (laughs) getting to college and they're like 87 to 91 or 92 and some of them are 93, 94. And anymore these days, like, I mean, we're in the Mountain West. We're not facing anything below 90 from a right-handed standpoint on the weekend. I mean, like, those guys don't exist anymore. Everybody in the big leagues throws like 100 miles an hour. I mean, seriously, like, it's not uncommon to see triple digits anymore where we used to, like, sit in front of the TV and, like, as the guys hit 98, 98, 99, 99, and, and we were, like, waiting for 100 miles an hour, that's commonplace. And so instead of taking, you know, 10,000 at-bats, I don't want to learn over my four years how to hit velocity in a breaking ball, and then by the time I'm a senior, be this great hitter, I want to get all those reps out of the way and practice every single day. Um, and so that's why we don't hit 55-mile-an-hour straight BP, even though Jimmy Raysinger is uh, he's our volunteer and our infield coach. He throws literally the best BP on planet Earth. I'd put it up against anybody, but we don't need it. We, we use it game day um, for our guys to feel good and to work some things out. But I tell our guys all the time, and it used to make them really mad um, until, you know, we had a couple years of really smashing baseballs where – you know, they'd be like, why are we hitting the machine again? And it's like, well, we don't have to, but like, you know, we can either take BP or we can get better. Like we can have hand thrown BP or we can hit off the machine and and actually get better. And so um, that used to piss them off all the time, but now, you know, they get it. And so, you know, I'm just trying to compress the learning curve and compress the amount of reps needed. Not that you can, you can cut reps off, but I can get 2000 reps in, you know, a fall of practice, right? I can, you know, if we're taking 20-minute BP with three or four guys in a group, you're getting anywhere from, I don't know, 40 to 50 swings that day. And if they're all coming 95 miles an hour, we're learning how to hit 95 miles an hour a whole lot faster than four years of experience at the college level and then just praying to God that we're, you know, ready for professional baseball if that's what we get the chance to do. Um, you know, hope's not a good strategy. So we just want to make sure that we get all of those reps and game reps uh, in practice every day so that when the game shows up, everything's easier. Yeah, I love that. You know, in the in a game of baseball where they say hitting is the hardest thing to do, you really have to make practice harder. So at least you have somewhat of an edge on that guy that's throwing the ball at you. Exactly. And the, the, the other thing is the, the amount of bat speed that it takes to take a good BP against a guy throwing is like nothing, right? You can completely fool a guy with, you know, you can have those guys with, long swings, but they're strong and they'll hit home runs in BP, hand thrown BP um, versus you throw that guy in against the machine. And if he takes that same swing, he knocks his thumbs off. Right. And then you'll see him adjust his swing to just try to find the barrel. And so there, there, you know, there's a massive, massive difference in those two um, approaches for a guy. Like a guy needs to learn how to hit a ball out of the yard when that machine's hitting back a little bit, right? When 95 is coming off and you better be tight and be a tight turner through the zone and find a barrel to be able to hit a home run, fast bat, fast ball versus slow bat, fast ball, you know, you're going to get blown up. There's a ton 
um, a ton of value that just the, you know, fear guys aren't actually afraid of it, but like, you know, the thought of, of getting blown up, that puts a little bit of fear in guys and changes the way guys swing. And so you can get that out of there, get the bat really moving through the zone. And then you can truly make swing adjustments in your practice because if you're doing it off of a 95 mile an hour machine, that is going to work off of a 95 mile an hour pitch, right? Versus there's a whole lot of extra variables that we're not accounting for. If we're barreling up gap to gap, 55 mile an hour BP, and then all of a sudden, you know, Clayton Kershaw rolls in and it's like, wait, what? This is, this isn't like anything I saw. How am I going to do this? Yeah. I love that. Um, I kind of want to dive a step deeper into that offensive approach. Um, obviously we want to drive the ball all over the yard and kind of score runs in bunches. Uh, it doesn't always seem to happen that way. So can you kind of take us through uh, the importance of having an, uh, an offensive approach that's versatile to the team that you have and then how you guys there, Air Force, use uh, pressure and attack play to kind of to play into that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the biggest, the most important piece of, of that question is to adjust to the team that you have. Um, and so you're going to have a different team every year in college. Um, you can – you can have a little bit more control over it, right? Because you're, you're recruiting guys. Um, you're bringing in the guys that you want, but you don't always get the guy you want, or they don't always pan out like you thought they would. Cause we're recruiting kids, you know, off the couch when they're watching Teletubbies and puppy dog pals now. And so, <laughs> um, one thing you have to be able to do is run the base as well. You know, from a, from a full offensive standpoint, um, we're in an offensive conference. Um, you don't win in our conference by, sack bunning and trying to score one run an inning. Um, it just doesn't work in, in my opinion, right? There's some, there's schools in our conference that play in different yards. You know, all the California yards play a little bit bigger in our conference. Um, and so those might be things that they're going to do. Um, but for us playing at air force, playing at New Mexico, playing at, uh, you know, Reno places where the balls fly, um, you've got to be able to drive balls in gaps. You've got to be able to score runs in bunches. You've got to be able to score guys from first. Um, and if that means that you're going to give up some runs that maybe you could have had in some innings, I'm going to take the trade off um, of a one run inning for a four run inning, right? We're kind of playing for the big inning a little bit, not uh, we're not relying on the home run, but we are relying on math um, and stats that are going to tell us that we need to play for the big inning to win a baseball game. But from a pressure and attack standpoint, like my favorite thing that can ever happen in a game is a guy that hits a tank and also drops down a drag bunt single in the same game. Like that's my favorite thing. That was who I tried to be as a player. I didn't have as much juice as I would have wanted to have, but like I could lay down a drag bunt now and then just cause you know, I was a bigger guy that they didn't expect necessarily to drag bunt. So it was like, you know, I took a lot of pride in being able to take a free hit. Um, and so we take a lot of pride in that. You know, we talk about it a lot on our teams, we do it less often than maybe I would want to, but that's something like in practice that we get excited about. Like, Hey man, you, drop a drag down, bring the, in, you know, bring the corner guys in a little bit, then smash a baseball by him. You know, then you roll over something to third base and you end up with a double instead of a double play, you know? And so from an, from an aggression standpoint, I think um, you have to, you have to make people uncomfortable on the bases and, when I got here, like I was telling you, um, I literally basically just got hired to be a base running and catching coach. And so at Dayton, we did some of these 
we, we ran the bases a little bit differently. We stole bases a little bit differently. We had a momentum lead. Um, you know, Matt Tallarico was, he, he has the steelbases.com. You know, they do a bunch of that stuff. Um, but anyway, that was who we, that was, that was who we were going to be at Air Force. And my first year there, we stole a bunch of bases and, um, you know, turned it around from the year before. And, you know, I think we went from last in the conference to first in the conference stealing bases and we were doing it with momentum leads and all types of stuff like that. Well, it was a little bit easier three years ago, four years ago, because defenses and pitchers kind of weren't expecting it. Um, I think it's been adjusted for now, not that it doesn't work. You just have to be more intelligent about how you're doing it and how you're setting it up uh, and the spots that you're picking. So at Air Force, you know, that's a big thing for us. You know, we don't play in this massive yard that, you know, we're hoping for singles and we're hoping to win two to one. Like we play in a yard and in a conference where you need to score runs if you're going to win games. And so we still want to steal bases. We still want to create holes. Um, we still want there to be pressure. We still want to make the other team play catch, but we're doing it in a way of we're picking our spots and we're doing it at the right times and we're running in good counts or we're running off of, you know, bad pitcher catcher time combinations, things like that. But from a year to year standpoint, man, that's got to be your thing. Um, if you can only hang your hat on one, on one thing, you're going to struggle in college because, there's so many variables when you talk about 18 to 22 year old kids, man, they don't pan out the way you thought they're better than you thought. This guy, you know, was a five, eight second baseman in high school that could run a little bit. And he, you know, grew two inches and, you know, gained 30 pounds by the time he's a sophomore in college. And now he's smashing baseballs and he's playing a little bit differently than you might've thought or vice versa, you know, whatever it might be. But I think from a versatility standpoint um, and from a pressure standpoint, You've got to be able to do everything well enough to be able to, you know, if I do everything well enough year to year, then if next year I have to adjust, then I'm going to be able to grab some traction um, from years past and things that we've done to be maybe that type of team that year, uh, depending on what your talent or what your opponents dictate your talent needs to be. Absolutely. And I, I think another big part, like kind of that you dove into right there, is I think too often baseball, we obviously fall into that this or that situation. And uh, I think, you know, one thing I used to preach with our players all the time is having situational awareness. Like there's, yes, this is a philosophy. This is what we're going with. But at the same time too, we have situational awareness. We understand that, you know, it's bottom nine, we're up by one and, you know, we're, we might play a little bit differently. Right. Or, or et cetera, like in, in, in different parts of the season or if we're in playoffs or et cetera, we might be changing our not, you know, our overall philosophy is still intact. We're just having some situational awareness and being a baseball player and competing. So I think that like, and I love how you open that up that, you know, again, it, it you got to know your situation. You got to know um, what's going on. And, um, you know, I love that you guys are adjustable in that way as well. Yeah. And we had um, perfect, you know, perfect example of all this. We had a leadoff hitter two years ago that looked like your prototypical leadoff hitter, but um, absolutely smashed baseballs, um, hit a ton of doubles, uh, hit some home runs, you know, did all the things that you'd want. He could have hit in our three hole if, if he needed to, um, but he was a leadoff guy because there was a lot of other talent um, around him. And, but the one thing that like the whole conference knew that he was going to hit doubles. And so the one thing that we were always trying to get him to do like, Hey, Dude, you, you're like two for your last 19. Will you please just lay down a drag bunt? You are so fast. 
everybody plays you all the whole infield plays you on the outfield grass. Cause you never drag bunt, like never do anything. And then like, honestly, it was almost to like, all right, this is a lost cause. He is not going to drag bunt. Um, and we're in a game and it's the bottom, same thing, man. We're playing at home. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. And, uh, I don't know if we were tied or if we were down or, you know, whatever it was, but he just hadn't been hitting really. Um, and he literally laid down one drag bunt that I can remember in his career is like the most perfect drag bunt. You're just <laughs> thinking to yourself, like, why don't you do that every single time? You know, and then the three hole hitter comes up and hits a walk off grand slam. And it's like, see, like, see how easy this is, you know? And uh, <laughs> obviously that's not how it works. And like, but you would wish that's how it works. But like, when you picture it in your mind, that's what you want, right? The guy that bangs, and then when the situation dictates or when the defense dictates, boom, you drop down a bunt, um, and you got a little bit of instant offense going, right? Because he's a good base stealer. He's all these other things. Like, typically your fast guys, your guys that are good base stealers, well, you can't steal first. Like, why can't we drag? You know, it's one of those things. And so I don't want to – if if we wanted our guys to be great drag bunners, I, we could do it. We could shut down practice. We could make sure they did it. Um, we could make sure they were good at it. We could make sure they did it in a game, and they would be out a lot, and we would be, you know, we wouldn't be happy with it. I'd be like, why are you, why are all you guys drag bunning? You know, and so um, it's just one of those things, man, where you you don't have to be great at it, um, but it's got to be in your toolbox just like anything else. And you can just pull it out when you need it. You know, if you had to, if you had to, you know, screw in one screw all year with a Phillips head, you could keep a rusty old Phillips head around. And, you know, when you need it that one time, screw it in. If if you, if you were a carpenter and you, you know, you screwed in screws for a living, you wouldn't want to walk around with that rusty old tool, but you, you would need to have it in your toolbox. And that's, I think what we try to preach with our guys is like, just have these tools. Like you don't have to be great, but just have them. When you when you have downtime and you're taking, you know, we try to prevent this, but you're taking meaningless hacks off of a tee because you think you're getting loose. Like get over there, turn the machine on, drop a couple drags down, or whatever part of it of your game that you, that you're not great at at that time. Just go work on it real quick. There's those days in in the fall. You know, we're almost there right now because our fall season's about to start. So we've been having individuals, and it feels kind of tedious like the same thing every day we're individuals every day and it's like gosh am I getting better or am I just taking reps like those are the areas where if you want to get one percent better every day and then over the 360 days in the year be way better um 365 days sorry and uh (laughs) but if you uh if you can just find a way to get better that's a way to get so much better with so little time that can have such a big impact on the game if you're just capable of doing it um, not even, you know, very, very proficient at doing it in terms of drag bunting, uh, base stealing, anything like that that c- can create pressure on the defense. Yeah, I love that. Coach, I want you to dive into something that you've uh, touched on throughout the interview. It's putting pressure on the base paths. Can you kind of walk our listeners through your philosophy to stealing bases and then how you teach it to your guys there at Air Force? Yeah, good. So I'll, I'll rewind four years. When I got here, I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, that was going to be the thing. Like we were going to do our momentum leads. Everybody was going to do it. We were going to work on them every single day in practice. And we did, uh, we were going to steal third, a bunch. Uh, we were going to steal second, a bunch. We wanted to, you know, my goal personally, I wanted to lead the conference in stolen bases, which we did. Um, and we were going to do it all with momentum leads. 
and, uh, and, and occasionally we call them new school, old school. It's not my terminology. Calorico made up all that, but, um, we were going to do it with new school leads, which are the momentum jumps and old school leads, which are just, you know, a regular steel start break, uh, from 12 feet. And so we did it that year and it was awesome. Um, and it really worked and it really gave us a platform and a foothold that we thought we could kind of launch off of. And what ended up happening was, we can, it continued to evolve. It continued, you know, defenses evolved to us. Pitchers evolved to us. The, you know, our margin of error became much smaller. We had to be perfect. You, we couldn't be out of control with our momentum gaining uh, because they would just turn around and pick us off, you know, and all those things. And so it sort of evolved into more of a, and, and plus on top of it, you know, the year after that was the year that we led the country in all kinds of offensive statistics. So it was like, Hey guys, just don't get thrown out. Like if you're at first, you're in scoring position. And yeah. uh, so, you know, we, we got away from it a little bit. I don't think we definitely didn't abandon it. We just used it when it made more sense. Like I said, you know, Tallarico, he does it with his teams. They're at Wright state. They, they have playing a massive yard. Like you're not just running balls out of there left and right. Not because they're not good hitters because their yard, I mean, it's huge and the wind blows and, you know, and it's just not an offensive ballpark as much as the one we play in. And so we got away from it a little bit, but now, you know, from a, from a pressure on the basis standpoint. So Jimmy, our, our infield guy that I mentioned earlier, he's also our base running guy. Now, as I shifted to more of the hitting, um, we kind of wanted to have somebody, you know, at leading it. And so Jimmy's leading the base running and he's doing all kinds of great things with our guys from not only a base stealing standpoint, but what it's morphed into is, just extra 90s wherever they might be. So we harp so much on um, first to thirds, uh, taking extra bases if the infielders' heads are down, making sure we're doing everything correctly so if we get one bobble, we can get an extra base. Stealing home, like that was my big thing last year. I'm like, who's going to steal home? You know, and, and all fall, it was just, it was fun, right? And I also wanted to see somebody, you know, find some creativity and do it. That was two years ago. And so extra 90s, I feel like, is what we're really about. We try to run in good counts. Um, we try to run based on our hitter, you know, you know, strikeout rates and um, contact percentage and things like that. We try to pick the right spots to run. But you, we, you cannot be stationary on the bases um, because you're inevitably going to run into a buzzsaw on the mound someday um, where you've got to be able to do something different or you've got to be able to take a chance and put some pressure on the pitcher-catcher, infielder combination of play and catch. So for us now, I would say we are a very, very aggressive base running team, and then we slap the reins on them a tiny bit if the situation dictates it, um, if, if it's playing really offensive that day, if we've been smashing baseballs, um, if a guy with, you know, if Nick Reddy comes up and he's got 20 home runs in his pocket, like, let's not make a silly out on the bases, but we want to empower our guys to know like, Hey, if you've got a base stolen, go, I don't care if it's third base with two outs. I don't care if it's, uh, you know, stealing third base with a guy with 20 home runs at the plate, um, and one out, you know, whatever it might be like, we don't care if you've got it, go. And if you get thrown out, we'll talk about it and you'll fix it and we won't do it again. And I think the one thing you cannot do with, with players. And if you want to be a good base running team is you cannot jump down their throat when they make a stupid out because they're just like everybody else, man, they're human. They're going to make bad decisions. Um, you need to just stop, 
talk about it, adjust, and make sure it doesn't happen again. And make sure that the guys on the top step of the dugout are locked into the game so that this guy's mistake is now their mistake and so that they don't make that mistake later on in the future. But, man, if you create – I feel like it's like a – it's just cancer in the brain, man. If you create any doubt or, or fear or whatever it might be, it just spreads like wildfire and they just won't go. And then they're boring on the bases. They won't – they won't push it on dirt balls. They won't go first to third. Um, and we had a little bit of that two years ago. And that was a big learning point for us as coaches, I think. Like, dude, you know, when the, if you're going to preach be aggressive, then when that kid's stupid aggressive, you, you got to deal with it. You got to live with it. And, it's, and, it and, I, and, and that's something we've learned, and that's something that I like, and I think that's something that we've adapted very well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a funny thing. It's always you, you, you catch some of those coaches again. The guy that preaches uh, be aggressive, the guy gets thrown out, and it's like, oh no, he wasn't doing what I taught him, or you know, he's not following our game plan. All of a sudden, he just abandons his player. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Exactly. Like, you're or you're preaching. You're preaching. You know, uh, like uh, I used to get me mad too. I used to watch. I remember when I used to watch uh, Mark Teixeira, and when he was. And the Yankees had a couple runs late in the playoffs uh, when he was playing with them. And, you know, it was like there's a situation when, you know, if he would have just slapped a ground ball to second base, like we would have scored a run. And instead he pops up to like the infield or something like that. And, you know, I used to get real upset when I was younger. I'm like, couldn't you just slap a ground ball to second base? And then, um, but I, I laugh at myself in that situation is like, that's not what, you know, you pay Mark Teixeira to do. Like, that's not what he trains to do every single day of his life. That's not what's preached to him. You know, that's not, you know, he's, he's going to try, try to drive, ball, uh, drive baseballs. And if he's trying to drive baseballs, you know, you're going to get pop-ups. You're going to get some of these times where he gets out. But again, he's doing like, that is all part of him doing his job. And so guys in the, the other side of base runners are the exact same way. Like there's guys that are going to be, you know, hyper aggressive, but at the same time too, he's also still in a bunch of bags. So, you know, they kind of go hand in hand and um, you know, there's some of those guys where, you know, there's situations, everything has its flaw with a certain, you know, approach and you have to have some situational, you know, awareness, but you know, that's all kind of part of the mix. Like, you know, what you're trying to get players to do that there's going to be a downside to the, everything you do, no matter what it is. Well, and also baseball is such an imperfect game that, you know, I think, and for me, um, you know, when you talk about new school, old school, numbers, no numbers, stats, sabermetrics, everything, you know, all of the new information out there makes it so much easier to be a coach and to live with the mistakes that are made because, yeah. and especially for, you know, our guys, like I love coaching guys that are intelligent guys. Um, you know, we have to recruit a kid with a very high GPA and test score at the Air Force Academy, and I love that because they're into that type of stuff. And it's easy for me to justify, like, hey, if you run the bases like this, here's the line. Don't cross the line. If you do, let's let's bring it back. But if you run right up to that line and tow that line, here's the math. Here's the numbers. Here's the statistics that are going to come with that. And, look, here's the negative ones. Here's where you're going to get thrown out. Here's Ricky Henderson stealing a million bags in a year. He's getting thrown out. It's at this clip. So if you're aggressive and you run bases like this, or if you're a home run hitter or a doubles hitter and you swing, you know, with that intent early in the count and you pop up to the infield, it's okay. These are the reasons. These are the numbers. These are what, these are what the numbers say. This is how we can be the most successful because, you can have all the opinions in the world. You can't argue with math. It's just math. It's just numbers. So when the numbers match up, 
I'm not I'm not purely a numbers guy, right? There's there's certainly a feel um, to the game of baseball, and there's a gut instinct to the game of baseball. But every single decision I make, and, and obviously, you know, my boss makes the final decision, but every suggestion that I make to him is based off of numbers and data. And then if that, you know, if, if your gut tells you, you know, to wiggle one way or the other, then fine. But, you know, I think when you recruit and coach uh, intelligent kids and you give them all that information, I think it's a great matchup. I don't think there's any uh, paralysis by analysis. I don't think there's anything like that. I think, you know, you just let you let the numbers in the game dictate what should happen, and then you play your style of baseball within that structure. Yeah, and, um, you know, I kind of wanted to switch gears now, you know, going into your guy uh, Nick Reddy pulled away with the College Home Run Derby trophy last year. You know, I wanted to ask you, like, how that experience was and um, how that whole process was. I mean, obviously something that uh, Bo and I will never get the chance to experience, so we just wanted to pick your brain about it. Yeah, so um, Jimmy Raysinger threw to him, our our infield coach that I swear to God, he literally (laughs) throws the best BP on planet Earth. Um, I know I say that a lot, but it's because I mean it. Like he can throw firm, soft. He's the guy that you want because he can throw BP to your guys. And then he can also throw to the campers and just like be a barrel magnet, you know, when they can't hit. But I'll tell you what, man, like the, the experience is no different for me, man. Um, I was, I was out in Atlanta recruiting at the time. And uh, I told the travel coach of the game I was watching after the thing was over, I'm like, hey, like, I need to know when you guys play tomorrow because I didn't watch a single pitch of your game. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) I was just watching the home run derby the whole time. And, I mean, like, you know, just think about it. So, I think – I'm not positive on this, but I think they hit um, every money ball out. So, you know, obviously Nick Reddy, you know, he – he won the home run derby. He did. It He's a superstar. I mean, he is, he makes a baseball field look very, very small uh, when he's at the plate. And, uh, but the BP thrower has a large part to do with it. So, um, you know, Jimmy got in there and, and threw like a power sinker on the first pitch. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh my God, if he's nervous, we're screwed. Like, please <laughs> just hit a couple home runs, like just hit a couple and, you know, make everybody look good. But, um, but anyway, so Nick hit every single money ball out. Uh, which was worth two points instead of one. And um, I think just, like, if you if you watched it, if you watched, like, after every money ball, he throws, you know, they throw it, Nick smashes it somewhere into, like, the next state over. <laughs> and, you know, Jimmy hops off the platform, and they go bash bros, forearm, <laughs> like, forearm bumping it, you know, halfway between the mound and the plate. I mean, honestly, like, I was so – just like I don't even know the emotion, like happy, proud, um, excited. Like you know, I'm watching Nick's family's on TV, and uh, you know Max and Mark, his brothers, are there, and his mom's there watching, and they're all you know like throwing fist bumps, and it was uh, it was honestly like the coolest thing ever, especially because like in my mind, I see the kid every single day. I know exactly what he can do in that ballpark. I, we've taken BP in that ballpark when we go play Creighton. So, like, I know exactly what he's capable of. There's pressure. There's nerves. There's the guy throwing BP. Like, everything has to be right. But, like, I knew what he was capable of. And then, I, you know, like I said, man, I was just praying, like, just, just hit a couple out early and get into a little bit of a groove. Because, like, he does things on a daily basis, you know. And I've had a couple players like this in the past. I think you guys know, too, when you're coaching, like, 
you're coaching a kid and he's doing whatever he's doing, you know, he's doing what you're asking him, hopefully, but you're standing behind the cage and you're like, just give me the bat. Like I'll get in there and show you like how to do this. You know, I still got it. I can still bang. And, uh, so, but he does things on a daily basis that I'm just like, Nope, never did that in my career. Nope, <laughs> never did that in my career. Like, you know, my very first year here uh, at air force, we have this big giant wall in center field and you know, we had a lot of talented guys, guys that ended up being that super successful team a couple of years ago. And I said, hit it over the batter's eye. I just hit it over the batter's eye. And we were not hitting it over the batter's eye by any stretch. And I remember I told our guys, like, somebody hits it over the batter's eye, I'll run the triangle, right? So after practice, they're <laughs> running triangles, you know, or whatever the pitchers are doing them, whatever it was, I forget. Like, all I knew was everybody hated triangles. And uh, <laughs> so I'm like, all right, guys, if someone goes over the batter's eye, I'll run the triangle. And it's like, finally, one day, it was probably, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the fall or even into the spring, like whatever it was, our little leadoff hitter just goes smash straight over the batter's eye. And uh, everybody's like going nuts and screaming. And I'm like, oh, God, like walking with my head down. Like, I got to go run this triangle. And like, if you were to show up to practice today, I would be running triathlons. I'd be the Ironman of Ironmen because it's like, it's people, we got backup guys. We got guys that never play that are smashing it over the batter's eye. And, uh, you know, so just like that transformation, you know, but Nick, you know, Nick Reddy, obviously like that's who it is every day, man. He's that guy. It's just like, it's something special. I never hit a ball to dead center for a home run in my entire career. BP, uh, game, like MLB slugfest, nothing. I never did it. So, um, you know, to see that on a daily basis and to see that kid, uh, do what he can do. I knew he had a shot, but like I said, man, when it actually happened and when he actually did it and they're just, you know, him and Jimmy are smashing forearms in the middle of the field. Like I was so jacked up. I didn't go to sleep that night cause I was just so pumped, man. So awesome. Those are the moments that you just got to love as coaches. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm also hoping that you guys didn't have you run a time triangle. <laughs> no, no, well, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I got like, uh, you know, I got down to the right field fence. I'm like, this is easy. I'm smoking these guys. And I'm like halfway through center field. And it was like, uh, it was like somebody stuck a needle in my hamstrings and just started injecting fluid. I felt like my hamstrings were going to blow up. And uh, it was like, right at that moment that I was like, oh, I don't, I don't run anymore. Like, I got nothing. So my last leg of that triangle from the left field wall into the plate. And keep in mind, like, I'm doing this as, as hard as I can. And like, I'm trying to act like it's not phasing me at all because every single hitter is standing at the plate laughing at me and just like pumped that I have to run and not them. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was tough. They did not put me on the watch. If they did, I would have been in last place. That's awesome. Well, you know, uh, you know, I wanted to, you know, have you have to take a moment to just open up some of your resources uh, that you've used over the years, uh, you know, just to get better as a coach. Yeah. Okay. So this would take for, this would take the rest of the day <laughs> to go through all of them, but there's some key ones that are out there. Um, before I even dive into a specific one, like Twitter, I know this sounds weird. I know it sounds like, Oh yeah, it's a small resource. Like uh, maybe not even Twitter, the internet, right? Every single person in the United States of America that coaches college baseball or high school baseball has access to the internet for the majority of people. It's in their pockets. It's in their phone. And so if you aren't getting better every day 
or not even getting better, but if you're starting out or if you need to change or if you're looking for some info, um, if you're not improving, it is your fault. Like there is so much info out there. There's so many people. And even I think even understand, too, that just seek out information, right? Because if, if you seek out information and you run into some guy that says the dumbest thing on planet Earth, in your opinion, like, at least you're now, you're continually forming your opinion. You know now what you don't like. You know who to not go back to. But, and that's just the negative side. Like, there are so many um, positive people on the Internet uh, that, are, that are talking about hitting, that are teaching hitting, that are putting out videos. Dustin Lind has a whole Google Drive that, like, extends, like, it would, it, it, like if you held hands, it would extend across the country. There's so many videos <laughs> in there. Obviously, the ABCA chat. Um, I'm a huge proponent of, of that. I love listening to it. Um, I love the guests that they have on it. Jason Ochart, you know, and Driveline as a whole, what they're doing with data um, and just trying to uh, not necessarily focus on who is right, uh, but what is right, like proving, you know, through numbers and science and data. Um, I'm a large, you know, a huge supporter of something like that that, that can be, you know, repeated. Um, it's repeatable and proven. John Peabody's a guy on Twitter that puts out great stuff. Uh, Jordan Stoffer, I know you had him on the podcast. Jordan and I, like, we were – we played together my senior year, and he was, like, this skinny little rail uh, that played a good third base and, like, slapped singles. And I went to college, and he went to college, and we didn't see each other forever. And all of a sudden, like, I came back, and this dude's wearing, like, double XL tall pants and just, like, breaking home run records left and right at Metro. And, uh, that, like, I'm telling you, man, it's – I might be a little more biased because I know the kids that he's working with and that he's helping. Um, but I see him – I see who they are when they're a sophomore, and I'm like, okay, never going to recruit that kid. And I watch, you know, oh, hey, there's that kid. He's, you know, I've seen that kid play. He's on, you know, uh, Jordan's Instagram or whatever. And it's like, dang, that guy kind of smashes now. Like, he, he kind of does some stuff. Um, so Jordan's rounding third uh, page, I think, is great. And then the two guys that, like, if they say anything, like, I'm all in. I might, I might tweak it or I might put it a different way or I may, you know, shed it off and not like it. But, you know, Coach Hefner at DBU, I just think, Everything he puts out hitting wise, I like. Um, and so, you know, we try to model a lot of what we do after him. Um, I think partly because of it is I've, I've, we've been down, we've played their team. I've seen their players. Um, I see the way they handle themselves. So it's not just a baseball thing. It's a, um, I, I just like what they're doing. And then Jerry Weinstein uh, with the Rockies never met the guy, um, but I follow him on Twitter. I think he puts out fantastic information um, he puts out like some, some weird thoughts too. Like, Hey, here's my thought on this tiny little random detail that probably 99.9% of the population doesn't even care or know what I'm talking about. But you baseball coach, you know what I'm talking about. You've been in a game with this. Um, you've seen this happen. Like, and so I think he comes with some of like the craziest nuggets that he's just like dug up from the middle of planet earth that are just so awesome. Um, and obviously He's doing it at the big league level, but it's cool to see a guy at the big league level that's older, that is still trying to innovate and still trying to do new things. And so, you know, Jerry Weinstein's one of my favorite guys uh, on Twitter, but, you know, and then just other coaches, you know, I got to do a, 
a podcast with Coach Gwill from Kentucky, and uh, that was awesome. Um, I learned a ton from him. Uh, just when you're out recruiting, I think you learn a lot from guys. You pick the right guys' brains. Uh, you figure out who are the right guys to talk to, um, and then just picking up the phone, man. Pick up the phone and call people. Uh, search out great, you know, information. Search out great podcasts. Um, obviously, your guys' podcast is awesome. I listen to, you know, all the hitting guys. I listen to any pitching guys. I listen to just whatever because you've got to be able to pick up something uh, from everything from everything that you're hearing, whether, like I said, man, whether it's you like it or you don't like it, you're at least you're always forming your opinion. And then you have more reinforcement for why you don't like something or more reinforcement for why you do like something, you know, and that's in uh, Jonathan Gellner's ahead of the curve podcast, you know, any podcast where they're talking to college baseball coaches or baseball people in general, like I'm all in on. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, no, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing some of those. I'll have to look up some of those uh, myself and some of them, obviously, that we, uh, we, we've talked about or, you know, guys that I like to follow as well. So if any of our listeners have want to get in contact with you, talk about any of the things that you've gone over today, uh, ridicule you for uh, everything that you've said, <laughs> what would be Bring the best it, way baby. to get in contact with you? <laughs> um, so just my, my Air Force email, charles.gilman, two L's at usafa.edu. They can email me there. Twitter, DM me on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. You know, like I said, man, putting out, I mean, literally I'll, I'll post like a dude hitting a home run, my kid eating a donut, uh, my dog barking at the neighbor and a guy, you know, doing some awesome base running stuff. Like those will be like four consecutive tweets. Um, <laughs> so if you come for the baseball, I apologize for all the other riffraff if you didn't want it. But, uh, Hit me up on Twitter, um, Instagram, not really. I, uh, I <laughs> just post like, you know, family stuff on there. So, um, but yeah, man, I'm wide open for questions, uh, comments, uh, honestly ridicule. Like that's, I'm totally okay with that because I, and I encourage our players to do that. Like if our, if our players don't buy into something I'm doing, like I want to know because it's very possible that I'm wrong. I've been, I've been wrong plenty of times before. Um, but I think the more, the more you can be wrong and then correct it, you know, if you're correcting it, you're always moving forward. And, uh, the, you know, the further forward you can move, you know, the, the, the better off you're always going to be. Absolutely. Well, uh, CJ, I just wanted to, you know, uh, Bone, I just wanted to thank you for coming on today and giving back to the game and uh, continuing to, you know, jump on um, some of these information trains that are out there now and all these information that we can pull in and we can all get better. So we really appreciate your time and you sitting down with us. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me, man. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, I think like I can't overstate, you know, how much of my coaching and every day, you know, practice planning, all this stuff is, is shaped by the guys that uh, you and guys like you uh, that have podcasts, you know, it's shaped by the, the, the guests that you bring on it. So, um, you know, everything that we're doing and everything, if we have any success, man, in large part, it's due to guys like you that are helping to, pump information out and help make us better and just help make baseball better in general. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, CJ. Absolutely. See you boys, man. So awesome. I loved, uh, you know, I've been following CJ for a while and being able to get him on and get uh, connected with them and share some of his philosophies. Just awesome. This call takeaway is brought to you by quality at bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, man. So such a high level mind. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey? I think my biggest call takeaway with, 
Um, CJ is he's constantly, you know, blending things, you know, as, as you heard him say, you know, he's using machines, but he's not just using machines. They're working through some philosophies. He's willing to question how he's done things in the past. And he continues to have that lifelong learner, you know, growing mentality of, you know, he's just going to keep pushing himself to learn these new things. And, and if he doesn't know it, he's not afraid to be wrong. And, um, you know, he's willing to roll with those, some of those punches. So that, I mean, I think that's my biggest call takeaway. How about you, Bo? Yeah, man, that's a good one. Um, you know, an, another one of our guests mentioned making practice really challenging. Um, you know, as my biggest takeaway with, with hitting being the hardest movement in sports, we definitely should train and make it hard for our players so that they're ready for that game situation. Um, you know, the, the best way to grow is failure. So definitely have to evolve with the times and, and begin to challenge our players to really allow them to develop and get them ready for that game-like situation. Absolutely. Well, but what a great segue just to talk about all these great resources that we're putting out there, right, Bo? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, guys, follow us, you know, a lot of our stuff on social media um, is a great, you know, great chance for you guys to uh, share some of these things. Also, too, guys, if you guys are recruiting players and things like that, too, getting them on this lifelong learner uh, growth mindset process, you know, by sending them a lot of these things, if it's the podcast, if it's some of our drills, if it's some of these things that are just challenging, maybe how they're viewing things or when you're talking to them, how they're talking about hitting, um, you know, it, it's a great way to do that. And also too, by you sharing it, it also shows that you're trying to be a lifelong learner and that you're also, you know, not just telling them to do these things that you're doing them and you're embodying them yourself. So I think that's a great way. Again, like guys, share this episode, um, tweet at us, share your thoughts, you, things you agreed with, things you didn't agree with. You know, let's start a conversation. We're definitely down to do that. We, uh, we actually love, like I said, I love to be challenged kind of just like Gilman was saying is, is learning from each other and how we all view things is, is how we're going to grow the game. So let's continue to do that. But until next time, Farm System out.